We have so many episodes on so many things. I know. So cool. We're just like popping, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> whoop whoop. Um, so Harjeet, are you hungry? I'm like always hungry. <laughs> if you too. know anything about me, I love food. I was about to explicitly say something, but I love food. That's how much you love food. That's how much I love food. And so today I wanted to talk about food and eating habits in medical school or lack thereof. Um, I think there's a lot of lack thereof. I think so too. And it's something that I found interesting how we are always taught to tell patients, you know, dietary modifications and lifestyle modifications to help with certain disease processes. And part of that is, you know, having a good, well-balanced diet, whatever that means, because we're also not taught that very thoroughly, right? But what I've noticed since starting third year is that I have had horrendous eating habits. And that's just my own perception of eating habits. I want to put this out there that like this episode is not about food restriction or diets or healthy. Like this is about how I feel my own eating is and in my perception of it. And so um, you, Harji, will also be able to put in your perspective of what this is. And it's not meant to shame anybody or say what is a good eating regimen or not. It's just that when I started third year, I was at Primary Children's and luckily there they feed you all the time. There's always free food in the residence lounge, which is amazing. But it tends to be foods like cookies and donuts and bagels and trail mix and then maybe some apples that are old. Yeah, <laughs> right? so. I know. And and like you said, Margot, some people, it suits them. But yeah, for even for me, it's hard foods on my stomach. Yeah. And I think like having those things occasionally is good. But I when I started third year, I became so overwhelmed in the schedule of, you know, wake up so early that I didn't have time to make breakfast and then round forever, barely make it to lunch. You know, sometimes they have free lunch. And sometimes you round through lunch. And then by the time you finish rounding, you're so hungry that you just, you know, go to the snacks and you eat because it's free and it's available. Um, Or you go down to the cafeteria and eat the quickest things, which tend to be like grilled cheese and pizza and French fries. And nobody has time to like actually put together a salad from the salad bar. And the salads in the boxes are always very sad and expensive. So yeah, or even like foods that are not salads, like it's just really hard to make something good for you to eat with kind of this crazy schedule. I'm currently on my sub internship in medicine and we also get lunch during our wards, which is like a super exciting time of the day because we're so hungry from like walking throughout the hospital. We're like, yay, we're going to get some food. And in ways it makes my life easier because then I don't have to think about packing something. But then in ways it's also like I'm so used to eating out and away from the home that it kind of takes a toll on your body, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I definitely noticed that too. Um, as my diet had shifted to be more carb centric, I started to feel really sick and kind of sluggish. And part of that is, you know, the stress of being in third year and working long hours and just the stress that we put on ourselves for grades and learning everything that we do. But on top of it, not having my diet that I used to eat and not being able to eat consistently. I found that to be a big barrier for my own personal health. Um, I tend to get migraines pretty easily. And as I progressed through third year and kind of spiraled into this sort of, um, I would say, hunter-gatherer type grazing where, you know, (laughs) I just eat whatever was there and available in the hospital, um, 
I got a lot more migraines and I had a serious conversation with my own doctor about, you know, like diet actually does play into this. Towards the end of third year, I had to be more mindful or I wanted to be more mindful of the food that I ate, but it took a lot of momentum. Um, so now I, I try to um, make oatmeal every morning and just have it in the fridge and ready to go and then try to have make a salad or some leftovers to bring for lunch. Um, but the the problem then becomes there's very rarely space to store food as well for medical students during the day. So um, I don't know, Harji, how have you kind of managed the food? The food or, situation? Yeah. I have to kind of go back to how I grew up with food. So um, my mom, she, you know, we cooked a lot of Indian food at home and we still do. Um, I think it was very important for her to preserve her traditions and cultures through food um, when she came to this country. And I also think that in my community and my culture, food is like a vital thing that makes a community like people come together for food. There's different meanings to food. There's different traditions surrounding food. So in that sense, I've always been eating at home. Right. And also financially, we weren't so well off when we were younger. Um, so we didn't go out and eat a lot. And when we did go out, it wasn't the best food in the sense like I think our favorite place was Taco Bell and we'd get it once a week. That's how much we used to eat out. Then cut to I'm in college. Right. I am a big girl now <laughs> and I'm I didn't pack food. So I would just eat whatever was available. And I realized I didn't see it. But um, like you said, Margo, that the choices we make are very multifactorial, right? Like I'm stressed, so I'm going to eat whatever is the fastest or whatever I have access to or like whatever is the easiest, right? And then coming into med school, it's completely different because our schedules are like whack. Can mm -hmm. I just use the word whack? So whack. They're like so whack. They're all over the place, right? What I'm trying to say is it requires a lot of like coordination, right? And sometimes that's just so hard because I'm like thinking about you know, waking up in the morning and rounding on all my patients or I'm thinking about other people's needs, I think, that I put myself on the back seat. And I think there's a lot of factors going into the type of foods I eat and if I'm happy with that or not. Mm -hmm. And I really agree with that, Harjeet. Food is has a lot of um, cultural significance for different people. One experience that I had that I kind of actually started to think a lot more about my own food choices and um, how we talk about food with patients is when I was on pediatric outpatient clinic and I was working with a doctor who was Indian and we had an Indian patient. And for the six-month well-child checkup, um, they usually talk about introducing finger foods to the baby, you know, and starting to introduce solid foods and transitioning from milk. And most of the time you just tell parents, you know, anything they can, crunch, you know, um, mash with their gums is fine. But what I thought was so cool was the interaction between this doctor and patient and her family was about the specific types of Indian food. Um, and she specifically referred to dal and I can't remember what else, but I thought that was so cool because it was really empowering the family. I feel like if it had been a different provider who had just said, oh, just give, you know, start with Cheerios, that could be very culturally dividing, right? It can really separate how you feel about not only your health care, but how you associate your own culture with health. And Right. Because then when you start giving examples from your like experiences or your knowledge of foods, 
they might be like, oh, then is my food bad to eat? You know, and it comes back to cultural awareness as well in that situation um, of the doctor knowing what kinds of foods to recommend and knowing the family very well, obviously. But I think that was very important. And then from that point on, I kind of started to think more about when we were telling patients with chronic kidney disease, all of a sudden, now you can't eat X, Y, and Z. But when you talk to the patient and their favorite thing is apples or plums, like now you're telling them like you can't eat this. Are they going to comply No, until you have like an honest conversation of like, well, I know you like apples or I know fruit is a very important part of your diet. And let's talk about how maybe you can incorporate this instead of this very black and white, you know, yes or no, like don't eat this, don't eat this, which I think is what our mainstream society teaches us about food. This food is good. All of a sudden, like 10 years later, this food is bad, right? It's very black and white. You know, shifting this conversation from us to a broader perspective is one that I think I've been thinking about more because of all these barriers uh, for me to, you know, eat what I want to eat. It's also made me think a lot about access to food. I mean, we're privileged in the sense that we're getting an education and we live lives that allow us to... And this is specifically me that I'm talking about. There's other med students who maybe don't have the same access to Mm -hmm. foods the way I do. But then looking at, you know, the world and our patients, a lot of people don't have the same access to foods that is required for them to make the best choices for their body or eat what they want to eat, you know. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like, I think we've kind of discussed uh, like fat phobia in a Mm -hmm. prior episode But I think, you know, me being in this position has made me able to think about this a little bit more. Sometimes you're forced to think about things when you're in a certain position and you never thought about those things before. And it's just, I think, very important for us to be cognizant of what access do we have? And Margot, like you said, everybody's food choices are for their bodies Mm -hmm. and we are not the ones to decide. Carb heavy food might not suit me. But it might be okay for another person. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, there's a lot of talk and stigma about certain foods in medicine, but without a lot of data to support it. Um, But it still tends to be the trend. And um, I think there are, on the other hand, there are things that we know to be good, beneficial. But to your point earlier about being now in this situation of having limited access in a way, Um, because of our time, has also made me think about our patients who, instead of working 12-hour days because we're in school, they're working 12-hour days because they have to, because they have to work two jobs to live and to survive and to barely eat. And with their paycheck, they can only afford what they can afford. And that food may not be the best choice for their body and for their needs. But at the end of the day, it's all they can afford. And when we as healthcare providers tell them, You need to change your diet without having a detailed conversation about what that might look like. That's so unfair for that patient. It's totally unfair. It's really hard because it's a systematic problem. It's not our. Oh, yeah. It's not our problem that the food that is accessible is not always the best food. But opening up conversations about food and, and access to food can start to help break down those barriers and help us understand what barriers exist. Help patients understand that we are not judging them for the situation that they're in and for what they can and cannot afford, but just making it less stigmatized. I yeah. feel like food is so stigmatized, especially like you were saying, it's stress. We go to eat 
um, when we're stressed and then what is avail- we eat what is available, which always tends for me not to be the best thing or make me feel very good. But then we feel guilty about it. And so this no. is a spiral. Right. And that guilt is like very mentally hurtful, you know. I think a conversation that I want to make apparent during this talk is that I think there's a lot of people who think that if I start eating healthier, if I'm doing my part, you know, making the right food choices, I'm in general helping out because people are leading by my example. But I think that you also made the point that this is a systematic problem. So it's very important for us to tackle these systematic things because food is another industry that is linked just like health, just like education. And I think we've been talking about this since day one on the podcast that there are bigger connections than what we see. It's just I think that med school, you know, kind of has forced a lot of us to see like, oh, this is a problem. I mean, a lot of us maybe also have the way we grew up have already seen this. But, you know, it's just very eye opening, I think. I agree. And it's something that I didn't really expect to be a difficult part of med school eating. Right. You you think it's such a basic thing, a basic it's like a need, right? A basic, yeah, a basic part of your life that you don't really put much thought into until your um, schedule is drastically changed. And then I at least started to really notice, and I noticed the impact that it made on me and, it and made your me, life, right? Yeah, and my life and and my health, and it made me then think about, well, how is this um, affecting my patients, or will it affect my patients? Yeah, and it does. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that quote unquote eat healthy. Whatever that means. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that means. And I think that's the thing. We're complicating that conversation, right? Because there are no set rules. And like we said, that it's all about context. I think that's where I urge everyone to think a little bit more. Um, hopefully we can start to have more conversations that will change the system as a whole because that's the whole point of our podcast, right? Is starting these conversations as little jumping stones into hopefully a bigger change. And the more you talk about something that's a problem, the more you can start to act on it and the more you'll be able to deconstruct it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So now that we've talked about sort of this very negative part of medical school, let's talk about things that we coping strategies, right? I'm in psych right now. So we're all about the coping strategies. Harjeet, how have you coped in third year and now in fourth year with eating habits and eating and food in medical school? I think the number one thing that I've done, and this is just not med school, there was a part of my life where I didn't have a good relationship with food. I try, I'm trying, sorry, because it's still not happening, but I try to make good choices for my body. Like I know what doesn't suit me. What I mean by that is there's certain type of foods that make my stomach upset or there's certain type of cheaper alternatives that are actually okay with my body making good choices and not making choices out of oh my god I'm feeling so tired let me just eat this but rather than oh I can get this cheaper option but it's okay for my body and I know that's an extra step to think about but in the end it always makes me feel better that oh I made a choice that was good for me and what I like to eat. And I um, would second that to Harjeet. And I think that that perception should always be in flux. So, for example, right now I'm feeling very stressed about our applications being due in two weeks. And I've noticed that I've had like an increased um, cravings for carbs, which tend not to be the best with my stomach. But sometimes at the end of the day, 
um, I allow myself that space to eat um, whatever is there because I know that, you know, the stress is only temporary. And rather than fighting these urges and this guilt, just eat it. It's okay. It's not going to kill me. And then, you know, in two weeks when my stressors changed, my preferences will change. And I think it's important to recognize the ebb and flow of stress and um, different responsibilities throughout all different rotations in your third and fourth year. So I think that's one thing I would um, recommend is just trying to be okay with listening to your body's cravings. By the way, guilt is like an emotion that is so destructive. And I think that I love that you said that because it's just like, okay, it happened. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a good thing. It was just a thing that happened and now move forward. Yeah. Or take the next step. Exactly. And and if it becomes a problem where it, then you're actually being like drastically impacted by it, or not even drastically, when you're being impacted by it, then maybe you can reconsider that those choices. But like I've noticed for me in the this past two, three weeks, I've really had been fighting these food urges. And so I think just letting yourself the space to be OK with that. Um, and that includes snacking on graham crackers and saltines from the nutrition room. Pro tip, you know, the graham crackers and the peanut butter and the saltine crackers will get you through a day. If you're rounding and you are like your stomach is growling and you're getting hangry, like just stop by the nutrition room. And Or you know what I do is I've squirreled away a bunch of little saltines in my pockets. So I love that. <laughs> that's my second pro tip. And when you do have time, like, you know, bring snacks like granola bars or whatever with you just because you're going to have times where you can't go to the free lunches or whatever. And and it helps to just have that extra little something in your backpack. I also have some more tips now that you've shared (laughs) some, Margo, that I just thought of. I know a lot of us put our needs after other people. So put your needs first, especially when it comes to Peeing, pooping, eating, and drinking. I always 100%. ask this. I always ask my patients, are you peeing, pooping, drinking, and eating okay? Because it's like basic things, right? And if you're on rounds and you have to go pee, go pee. If you are hungry, get food. Because if you're not in balance, how, are, how will you ever do anything for anybody else? I think that's number one. Number two, be cognizant about the conversations and the way you're talking about food and also body image. And we've had this conversation before around your classmates, around attendings, around residents, especially around patients, because we don't know what they've been through, what their relationship with food is, their context. Right. And because of that, I think it's really important about the way we speak about food. Like you said, Margot oh man, I can't eat this because it's so bad. You know, I think that's very important because everyone's in a different position. They might be having a stressful day and for them, they want that thing and we shouldn't make it sound like a bad thing. And then um, I think finally, this is actually for all the brown peeps in the audience because I remember when I was younger, my mom, she wanted me to pack lunch and take it to school And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't taking curry to school because it smells, you know? (laughs) And I think like a lot of us have shame with our own food because of us taking it to school and it's smelling different or smelling weird. You don't own that. So if you have a certain type of food that is not the 
general trend, you know, bring it to your jobs and bring it to work because that's the right food for you. And now I bring curry all the time and it makes... And we all enjoy it. Yeah. And we eat it together and it's just good. And I'm so happy that I've come to that now that I'm like actually proud of my food and I bring it to school because I'm like, yeah, it's different. But dude, everything's different. So like food. It's food. Like, we just need to get to that point. And I don't, I don't think I've struggled that much here, though, because everyone likes food that's different, you know. <laughs> but it's just a thought that I had when I was younger. And um, on that note, too, Harji, I would encourage m- medical students to know that you're not going to be negatively evaluated on how many times you go to the bathroom throughout the day. People are not paying that much attention. And if you say, may I go to the restroom? People are nice. Residents are nice. Attendings understand these basic needs. Just ask. Don't ever feel like you have to get a UTI because you're on rounds and have to hold your pee. Like, yeah. Yes. Pee, and don't poop, ever. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever feel like you can't eat. If it's your time to eat, eat. Listen to your body. And I think that in the end, that's another common theme that I think we talked about is everybody's body is different. Listen to it. Know who you are. Know what you want and get it. You know, get it. Get it, girl <laughs> or boy or non-binary <laughs> identifying individual. And I think we had a great conversation and I want to put it out in the world. If anyone has thoughts about food or anything we talked about, please share with us on all our social media platforms at Bundle of Hers. Also, an addition. Um, <laughs> furthermore, furthermore, it's at Bundle of Hers podcast on Facebook. Man, Facebook, why you got to do me like that? <laughs> okay. On that note, in our last episode, we thought it'd be a great idea to start sharing some of the comments we've been receiving on our social media platforms. And there was one that really stuck out to me. Margot had posted a Instagram post about a patient that had passed away while she was on service. And we appreciate all the love that you guys gave on that post and and your thoughts and your own experiences. That was very helpful in processing that situation as well. And there was a comment that I actually wanted to share on that post. So Dr. Deanne Davis um, said, We have all been there. I'm thankful to know that you had your team there with you to help you process this. We learn about it in medical school, but there's definitely no preparation for when it happens the first time. Margo, what do you think about that comment? I think it really resonated with me. I think it's very true. There's not a lot you can do to prepare for it. And I, I appreciate that a lot of you shared your own experiences and your own um, support, like Dr. Davis. It helps. It really helps. And I think the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes to process because it's not an easy thing and it shouldn't be an easy thing, you know, and and we're only human. So thank you, Dr. Davis. Shout out to you. Thanks for supporting us. And I actually wanted to plug another thing after we posted that picture. Another doctor reached out to us who is actually a part of the University of Utah at the VA. She's a hospitalist. Her name is Dr. Amy Cohen. Um, an amazing physician that I, me and Lean got the pleasure of meeting. Um, she actually wrote a um, article on the Washington Post and it's 
titled, Have You Ever Seen Someone Die? A doctor recounts her angst of shutting off life support for a dying patient. And it it was such a beautiful article that I encourage everyone to read it um, because it really talks about, you know, being there, helping this patient, but then them dying and how to process that afterwards. And I think her article is really kind of takes you to that place and helps you Think of what would you do when you if you were in her position. So thank you, Dr. Cohen, for supporting us and sending this article. And thank you to everyone for all your support and love. Keep it coming. We want to hear what you think, what you want to hear and just your random thoughts. Yeah. And also eat whatever you want today. 100 percent. Me and Margo are going to go get fries after this because. Oh, my God. Can we get milkshakes, too? OMG. I love fries and milkshake. You do. I don't usually say OMG. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Okay. It's one of those days. Yeah. Bye-bye.